already know what time it is. It's time to take it to the burn land. It's about to go down. Hope you're all ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. go. Come and roll with me to the burn land. Friends got to giving you the word, man. Any other BS is absurd, man. Sports talk and they give it to you firsthand. They can talk terps, they can talk O's. Yeah, they both lit. That's how it goes. Baltimore squad, Ravens and Poe. Better tune in. Here gonna show. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. BS. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. It's all about that BS, baby. What's up, BSers? What's up, peeps? <laughs> Apologize for the uh, technical difficulties, apparently, we were having. Appreciate you, Stephanie, for always looking out, letting us know <laughs> that we were uh, live before we were live. Yeah. <laughs> At least our mics were hot anyway. Hot mic. Woo! All right. <laughs> yeah. Starting off great. Hot mics have ended a lot of careers around these days. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank God we didn't say anything we shouldn't have. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, we got a lot to cover on tonight's show. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. We've done this in the past a couple of times where we've kind of opened the floor up to you guys. You know, we always try to work in as many comments and questions as we can during the show, but we're going to uh, try to pay a little bit more attention to that tonight. As obviously this is kind of one of the, the down times of the season right now with not a whole lot going on with the Ravens and the Orioles playing so poorly, badly, awful, however you want to put that. Uh, so we're going to give you guys a floor. Vent a little bit. Let us know what you want to talk about. What do you want to hear us, you know, kind People of answer? Already chiming in on the whole Julio saga. Oh, uh, I'm sure. We talked a little bit about that last week, but we can definitely dive into that again. Uh, one of the things I did want to talk to uh, you guys about this week with the Ravens and really just about the AFC in general. Notice the show name, Cream of the Crop. I want to really focus in on top four teams. Pretty much everybody has the same four teams listed as the top four teams in the AFC. The rankings are a little bit different as to yeah. you know who's on the top, who's on the bottom, that kind of thing. So we're going to dive into each one of the teams and kind of see where, where we feel the Ravens rank in the AFC as today. Yeah, there, there's some teams that I think we're going to call out that obviously are going to be the contenders that we're going to have to compete against the most, so to speak. So we'll see what happens, um, but I'm, I'm curious to get everybody's take, too. Right. The Orioles, as I said, continue to slide. How long before they throw in a freaking life raft? They need to save this team, or at least save face a little bit. They need a couple new catchers on the... <laughs> <laughs> well, one made his debut, so we're talking about that. Uh, and this week's rundown, some fall short, some drop out, some seek attention, and some are just plain genius. So we got a lot to cover <laughs> yeah. in this week's rundown. Before we do too much, though, we do want to remind you, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH. The Maryland Personal Injury Attorneys, it'll have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I know I have, give our team at MD Crash a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering. It can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now. 855-MD-CRASH. It's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, including tickets to some O's games and maybe some minor leagues. Which we had our first minor league experience go sour over the weekend. But actually, you know, we saved face and made it a good night. It was a good night. We're going to talk about that later during we the oil segment. We but it was, it was a fun fun night for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and Craig's already chiming in because he had, he had sent us a question the other day. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get to that when we get to our Cleveland section. Hint, <laughs> hint. Right. Okay. So as I kind of talked about, right, uh, you know, the Ravens 
Still one of the top teams in the AFC. Uh, had some retooling this year that obviously we've talked about in, in detail. Uh, the draft is complete. Free agency, for the most part, is complete. We might see another addition or two. Who knows what's going to happen with this Julio Jones situation that everybody's talking about, right? We talked about that a lot last week. Yeah. But what I want to do is I kind of want to look at the cream of the crop of the AFC North, the top four teams. And it seems like the consensus right now, top four teams, the Chiefs, the Bills, and then this is in no particular order, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens, the Browns. Surprisingly enough, everybody seems to have those four teams as the top four competing teams yeah. in the AFC. Uh, so I want to see kind of where all of you and the fans think the Ravens rank against some of these teams. So we're going to look at them individually, and we'll start with obviously the defending AFC champs one year removed from being Super Bowl champs, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Team that was 14-2, and two, obviously lost to Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. T Tampa Bray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I, I said, don't know how that works now. This is a team that, I mean, as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy, they're going to be in contention. He's just one of those yeah. once-in-a-generation type quarterbacks that elevates the play of people around him. But this team has weapons all over the field. Yeah, well, no, it, they have weapons all over the field. And I think what... What Kansas City did in the offseason, right, is we all saw almost a blueprint for how to stop Pat Mahomes. Right. Right. Get in his face. Make him scramble more. That's what we saw Tampa do. That's why it was so successful. Right. The thing that's going on here is this offseason, they decided to give him a little bit of protection. Yeah. One guy we know very well that can protect Pretty damn good. Yeah, Orlando Brown. So that's going to be their their anchor there at left tackle, at least for this year. Haven't worked out an extension yet. But just talking about where they are right now, uh, their offensive line definitely improved because, to your point, against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay shredded that offensive line. Now, they had a lot of injuries, and they weren't, you know, they were definitely not out there with their best team offensively. Yeah. Uh, but, like I said, when you've got other guys on the field, too, that surround Patrick Mahomes, guys like Tyree Kill, Miko Hardman, Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the game. Uh, you got a rookie last year in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who kind of burst on the scene. I think he had over 1,100 total scrimmage yards. Yeah. Right. And again, that's a, run, a rookie running back running behind a makeshift offensive line. Right. right. Uh, so I assume his production now having another year into the offense, having a full training camp, you know, time to actually get prepared, uh, his game should take the next step as well. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, that you expect them to do with this offensive line is not only protect your quarterback, but it give give your your running backs that are I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. These are top tier style running backs. Right. Right. Uh, in a system with Andy Reid that can do well with it. Yeah. That's what scares me, right? This is that's what he was able to do with that offensive line last year. When you put OBJ out there, when you grab some interior offensive linemen for them, and you have less question marks, goddamn that run that running offense is going to be something to mess with. Yeah, and, but that's where you need a defense that can handle both both parts, right? Right. You need a hand, you need a defense that can set the edge and contain the quarterback but also not give up too much up the middle because you set the edge too much and you give up the middle, running back's going to chew that up all day long. We saw that with Derrick Henry, right? right? And Kareem Hunt has, has killed us in the past with that. right? So if you, can, if you can do both those things, if you can sure up those edges and be able to secure up the, the front 
front three really. Right. You can you can stifle this def- or this offense pretty easily. The problem is is you have to have all those things working in tandem. Right. And I don't know how many teams are going to be able to do that. They're definitely going to be a force to reckon with here. Well, you definitely mentioned it. I mean, if if there's any kind of weaknesses to this Kansas City team, it's definitely on the other side of the ball. It's, it's defensively. Yeah. I mean, they ranked 16th overall in yards per game given up last year, uh, and a lot of that came with poor linebacker play. Uh, they weren't great yeah. in the secondary outside of uh, Matthew. Uh, Matthew. Yeah. So they they've got some some things to improve on that side of the ball if they want to stay in that number one. Because I mean, I think we all agree in here. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Even going into this year, the Chiefs number one overall ranked team in the AFC. Yes. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are uh, are the number one squad. I mean, there's certainly aspects of teams that others are better at but they obviously have the number one quarterback no right. doubt about it right they have the best wide receiver core out of any of these crews um and really out of, mm. in the afc yeah, yeah i mean when you think we'll, we'll talk about okay. it when you think about the bills and what they've added outside of just stefan diggs i mean stefan diggs my boy so i guess i'm gonna agree with you <laughs> <laughs> so but they gotta be up there at the top i i do think that there's plenty of teams I mean, their running back showed us nothing last year. Right. And the Ravens actually have a deep running back core, and obviously Lamar's better at running than Patrick Mahomes is. Right. Um, and then you have the Cleveland Browns, and honestly their running back core makes ours look weak. Right. So that's definitely the weakest point they have. Yeah, and I mean, Scott, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. You got an offensive genius in Andy Andy Reid. Uh, pair him with Eric Bieniemy. You've got two of the best offensive minds in the game running yeah. this chess match with i mean with some of the best talent again in the nfl drew where do you see the chiefs ending up i mean do you see them still going into the season as the number one overall ranked team uh yeah and all of football all of football all so of not football. just the afc yeah, not just the, i mean the the defense is gonna you, you can't overlook the fact that their defense isn't up to snuff with a lot of the upper tier teams right but uh, they could just put up points in in no time flat. They can have like four touchdowns in like yeah. a whole quarter, and and you're looking like, oh shit, not right. gonna play catch up for the lesser teams. Uh, it, basically the same stuff that Ryan said. Like, I mean, uh, Edward Solaire still has a lot to prove. If you look at what Kareem Hunt did when he first came in as a rookie, I mean, he was right out the gate, and I right. mean, he seems competent enough, but something just doesn't click right with the team. But uh, yeah, for me, they're the they're the top of the whole the whole NFL, but yeah, definitely AFC. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. Obviously, Tampa might have something to say to that, you know, after coming out and putting up the numbers that they put up, running rampant over Kansas City in the Super Bowl, uh, and doing so kind of being thrown together. Now, this offseason, a lot of guys took maybe a little bit lower deals, lesser deals to stay together yeah. and to make another run. Uh, so I think if anybody's got a well, question, it would be Tampa Bay and maybe the NFC. And we got some, we got some fans chiming in. Yeah. Uh, I hope you're not the lesser known of the Paul brothers, Jacob Paul here. <laughs> uh, but no question, he says Chiefs are the best in the AFC until further notice. And I, I agree with that. I agree. So so the next team uh, on this top four list, again in no particular order, uh, Buffalo Bills. Chuck, Stephanie, you chiming in? You listening? <laughs> Talking about your team. Uh, Bills went 13-3 and last year. They lost in the AFC Championship to, to Kansas City. Uh, but this is a team that is on the rise, and they've got a lot of good things working for them. Obviously, winning the AFC East last year for the first time since, I think, 95. So it's been a 
long time. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, it's been a division, obviously, dominated by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots for for many many years, right? Uh, so they obviously they caught that division in a down year. You know, New England going through all the transition that they were going through. Miami starting a new quarterback out there to a. Uh, uh, who else am I missing? The Jets. Well, that's, I'm missing those for a reason. They're the Jets, right? Uh, but you get a guy who had a lot of question marks coming out of the draft. And I'll be honest, I was the first one to kind of critique this guy coming out of college, Josh Allen. I thought, yeah. to me, he seemed more like a Kyle Bowler-type project. The dude had all the arm, all the arm talent in the world, but didn't have the accuracy. Uh, things just didn't look good. And even you know his first year or two, in the league, you know, kind of proved to that point. But last year, you you obviously add the weapons that you put around uh, Josh Allen, and he improved his completion percentage from 58% to 69% over 2019. Yeah, it, when you're thinking about this too, right, one of the things, they, they went, with them going 13-3, and three, there's six games there that are division games. Yeah. The rest are all out of division games. So people that want to make the argument all oh, easy division, easy division, easy division, they still had to play. If you take away those six from the win column, right. let's just let's just take them away. You still have to play another seven games that they absolutely dominated. They only right. lost three. Well, another ten games, but yeah, well, I got you. Well, no, no, I'm saying like if you take those out out of the the equation completely, right. sixteen games. So I'm right. saying they've got ten games outside of the division. That's what I'm saying. Right, but I'm saying that, all right, whatever. We're both saying the same thing, just different ways. Either way. But the, the whole point in saying that is the fact that when you when you look at this, they, they just weren't dominating their team. They right. were keeping it close against or their division. They were keeping it close against other teams you know, and, and rival teams, so, so to speak. Uh, I believe they kept it close against the, the uh, Steelers, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, but overall, you just have to look at that and say, there's an improvement here. Right, and then you go out and get those weapons. To your point, Josh Allen's going to have a test this year. Yeah. If he can pass that test, I think he'll get the extension he's looking for. Yeah, I mean he was he was in it until the end, as far as my opinion goes, with MVP candidacy. I mean he had all the numbers, he had all the statistics. Uh, again, you add a piece like Stephon Diggs last year, who led the league in pretty much everything statistically as a wide receiver outside of touchdowns. He had 127 receptions, 1535 yards, eight TDs. Yeah. This off season, you add to that, you bring in veteran Emmanuel Sanders uh, to pair with Cole Beasley, who Cole Beasley was dealing with some injuries last year. Cole Beasley. Uh, a very underrated receiver. And again, when he's in a system like that with he's got other receivers yeah. around him where he can be that annoying work from the slot, work in space kind of receiver, the annoying, the annoying that's a dangerous offense. Wide receiver two, wide receiver three that can just, if you put all of your attention on wide receiver one, he's going to burn you all day long, right. across, especially across the middle. That's what Cole Beasley is so good at. Cole Beasley in, in, Cole Beasley in that scheme, Reminds me of what Willie Sneed was when he first came here. Get across the middle, yards after the catch. Yeah. Those were the two big things. Cole Beasley is that guy, but he's also a little bit more of a deep threat than Sneed ever was. Yeah, he's got a little bit more athletic abilities, a little bit quicker. Uh, he works in space a little bit better, in my opinion, Cole, on Cole no, Beasley. That's what I said. It's, I it's like a, him the a comparison lot. It's, it's is a comparison, there. yeah. And again, Emmanuel Sanders, a veteran proven wide receiver who can come in. Uh, he's a possession kind of guy. He'll move the chains kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just all it's doing is taking some heat off of Stefan Diggs. They're not going to be able to double team him all the time because now he's got other weapons. 
The only thing that like offensively kind of concerned me with the Bills, uh, one was a running game because they didn't really, you know, they, they drafted Zach Moss, who showed promise in stints. Um, Singletary, eh, kind of, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on Singletary. Uh, the tight end position's another one. Like, they didn't get hardly any production. They barely, barely even used the tight end is, is in the passing game. Uh, they did end up bringing in Jacob Hollister in the offseason this year, so that should help them at the tight end position. Uh, but if we're looking at this team and how they're going to rank against the Chiefs, right, if we're putting the Chiefs at the top of the list, we talked about their weaknesses being defense, right? Yeah. Uh, the Bills are in that same boat. The Bills ranked 15th, right, right above the Chiefs in total defense last year. Uh, and I think their weakest point was their edge rushers. They just they couldn't get to the quarterback enough and they made emphasis on that in the draft uh, as they ended up drafting Gregory Rousseau. Guy that was on our radar. Was on our radar out of Miami. Uh, and I think one of the, the bigger projects in this draft that could the, – the, the low-risk, high-reward kind of guy uh, is uh, uh, Basham, Carlos yeah. Basham out of uh, Wake Forest. That's a guy that freakish, like, freakish athletic size and ability – uh, he just played at a you know at a smaller ACC school in Wake Forest. Uh, didn't really get utilized there as much as he should have been. Uh, but I think pairing him with Rousseau that could be a tandem that carries them a long way. It's def- it's definitely going to help their their defense. You know they I don't I don't know what their point differential offhand was last year, but I I think if they can if they can allow teams. I don't know what three three to six less points a game, one score less a game, right? Right, or on average, or even half a score less a game, right? Being able to get to that point of you know three points, if they can get there with what you've added on the offense, right? Now that thirteen and three starts to become a little bit more impressive. Could we see the Bills of all teams go fourteen and two, right? Based on what the division looks like, because the division's still not looking immaculate nobody knows what the hell that division is going to even look like outside of the bills right so I, I think there's something to say there that they made they appear on paper to have made the right moves to really help the, take this team to the next level so sam jackson brings up a good point he says the teams last year played with little to no crowds that said expect some drop off on high-powered offenses uh from 2020 and that's true you know these guys are going to have to not relearn, but readjust the way that they communicate on the line. Uh, speaking of line, that's another thing with the Bills that they addressed in the offseason. Uh, they re-signed some of the guys that they had on last year deals. Yeah. They drafted, I want to say it was three offensive linemen in this year's draft. So obviously they're putting emphasis on keeping Josh Allen Safe. protected <laughs> and keeping him upright and obviously also trying to improve the run game. You do that by creating better holes, which yeah. your offensive line is going to do. Uh, so I, listen – I really like the the Bills. If I was, I've said this before, if I wasn't a Ravens fan, I think I'd be a Bills fan just because I like what they're doing up there and I like a lot of the players that they have. Um, Josh Allen has, has made me into a believer. I mean, the, the guy marked, markedly improved, again, from right. 2019 to 2020 last year. Um, so do you agree with me that you think this division overall is going to be like it's still a giant question mark of how they how the, this team's going these teams are going to play out. It's a question mark. I mean, the Bills are obviously the front runner in this division. I don't right. think that's a question mark, but I do think the talent in that division has gotten better. The Patriots are going to be better. The Jets right. are going to be better. I think the Dolphins are going to be better. I think they're going to be a better division, but I think the Bills run away with that division pretty easily. Yeah. How um 
I know that I think Ryan, did you ask a question in the in the Yeah, group? so I, I was asking um what the breakout player from these four teams would be. Of course we're Ravens podcast, so everybody's got Ravens breaking out. Yeah, team. right. Uh, it's it's mostly uh Hollywood Brown calls or another one of the wide receivers, which I guess that would be Bateman would be the other chance mm-hmm. if it's not going to be Hollywood. Not tall um, enough. <laughs> I, this is not me calling this. I do just think that yeah, the Bills are are good. And they're a good quarterback took leaps and bounds, and he's, he's apparently one of the top tier now. Wide receiving core is amazing, but their running back core and their tight ends are terrible compared to these other teams. Terrible. Yeah, and that's what I said. Addressing the offensive line is going to improve that running game. They did bring in Jacob Hollister as a tight end this year, so he'll he'll be better than what they had. I don't know if they see the tight end usage. I don't know if that was a limitation based on the skill set of the tight ends that they had or if that's just a limitation based on the offense that they run because they barely used their tight ends. It wasn't like they were going out there and dropping balls and they just weren't productive. It was that their offense didn't dictate tight end use. So I'll be interested to see if that changes this year. James, what do you think? James and Drew. I was going to say, I think a bit of that too is uh, when you got a star wide receiver like Diggs, you're kind of feeding him a lot more too. Of course. not saying, you know, sometimes it's a little – there's only so many balls that go around. He's a little uh, better than what we have. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one little thing about that team that I always uh, – a guy I think about is Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. The linebacker. Yeah. Like, he ha- he's a sneaky, like, to me, watch out for him being, like, defensive player of the year talks late late in the season. I can see that. So that's the only thing I want to bring up. Like, that dude's <laughs> – he's a beast. Right. All right. James, what do you think? I just think maybe they don't use the tight end in their offense because – I guess we just use our tight end more than our wide receivers and our running backs, and they use their wide receivers more than their running backs and their tight ends. So I think it has to do with what they're scheming up. They can throw the ball. They know where the ball is going, and he catches the ball anyway. So, Right. All right. Well, all right. Moving on, let's take a look at the third team in this uh, pecking order, and that would be the Cleveland Browns. Right. (laughs) Hard to believe that we're talking about the Cleveland Browns possibly being a top four team in the AFC. Well, let's not forget they finished last year with eleven and five. They did eleven and five. They they won their first matchup in the playoffs. It was again another team that hadn't been to the playoffs since like ninety four. So another team that hadn't been in the playoffs in a very very long time. They won their first matchup in the playoffs against the Steelers in the wild card game, mm-hmm. and then they lost uh, eventually to the Chiefs in the divisional round. Uh, yeah, a very tough game. Um, I think the big thing that we're seeing the difference in with the Browns is that they seem to have found their guys as far as who's leading this organization. General manager, the guy local, Andrew Barry, right, yeah. seems to really have fit in well there and is making smart draft picks, making smart decisions in free agency. Uh, the nope. hire of Kevin Stefanski, a head coach, like, the system, everybody seems to be buying into it. Just saying, Harvard County School System works. Yeah, I mean, Bell and Bobcats are pretty good, but Harvard quarterbacks are even better. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but no, I, listen, this is a, a team that is absolutely organization that is trending in the right direction. Um, Kevin Stefanski, though, he brings in like this whole new kind of offensive style likes to use multiple tight end formations, and you just don't know how that's going to work. I remember them signing Austin Hooper in the, in the offseason. We're like, why are you signing Austin Hooper and you've got Njoko? You've got all these other tight ends there, but that's why, because they use a lot of two and three tight end formations. None of these guys are going to put up you know, 1,000 yards as a receiving tight end, but they've got a good group there. 
Uh, and I think Stefanski is, is leaving his mark and doing good things with that offense. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, to, to Steve's point, he says Browns now have a legit head coach. That's huge. Exactly. Yeah, you don't, you don't have a guy that you literally got out of the kitchen, right. Freddie Kitchens. Right. <laughs> um, guy's pounding beers as he's just. I swear he was pounding beers while he was watching. Well, that while was, he was looking at that the was a game Browns film. type of decision. That's yeah. what the Browns did for many many years. But well, they finally seem to have gotten it right. But one of the things that the the Browns you know have done, and we've got it pictured up here, mm-hmm. is the defensive move. Yeah, we talked earlier about how do you beat teams like the Chiefs. I think this move was made to beat the Chiefs because they sign Clowney. And now you have Clowney on one side and you have Garrett on the other. You have two of the top, I'll call it five, two of the top five edge rushers in the league. Yeah, well, I mean, five's generous. Rusher, <laughs> depending upon how you want to quote that right. with Clowney. Edge, listen, I would say Clowney's one of the better edge players. He's not one of the better edge rushers. The statistics okay. will teach that. Right, He's enough. just a very disruptive player, a very smart player. Um, but yeah, I mean, you pair him with Miles Garrett. Who are you doubling there, right? Somebody's going to be running with single. There's going to be a hole up the middle or a quarterback on I the mean, ground. I mean, yes, Garrett, you do. But <laughs> good luck with that with Clowney on single coverage. Like you yeah. just, you know, it, it'll create havoc for. Uh, that was the thing with lines. with Clowney in Seattle because it, you knew who to cover. Right. There was nobody opposite him. So to me, this is genius move because now. It, it's okay. I cover the outsides now. The interior linemen are coming right, coming right up the gut, and either stopping your running back in that run game, or they're turning around and they're able to get to your quarterback. Which what do we, what do we say is the best thing and the blueprint to beat the Chiefs? I think the Browns looked at what the Bucks did, right, and said we need to do that. Yeah, and I and I agree with that. I mean, obviously, not only do they sign Clowney, but then they go on the draft and they draft uh, Jeremiah Owasu, the yeah. JOK or whatever. He just kept sliding down the board and he was just there for the picking for the Browns. That was the standout guy on the Notre Dame defense. That's a guy that's got a lot of athletic speed. He's yeah. apparently, I mean, everybody was saying that he's going to be the guy that's going to be spying Lamar. Like that's the Lamar stopper, right? And and I'll be honest with you, I'll give Andrew Barry credit. Like, if if that's legit why you drafted him, well, there's two games you can account for every year against the Ravens and against Lamar Jackson that you're going to want to have that player out there that can spy Lamar and keep an eye on him and make sure that, you know, if he does get to the outside he, edge, you've got somebody that can try to keep up with him. He may come in useful if you have to if they have to play the Bills, right? And, and you, Josh Allen can move a little bit. He's not nearly as mobile, but he can move a little bit. He also helps you account for Patrick Mahomes, right? right? He's a guy that you can have, you know, step back and account for him as long as you have coverage in that in that secondary and they're keeping those guys locked down that's a guy that he can get up there and if he needs to he can rush him if he if he sees him starting to scramble right now that's true uh so that's that's on the defensive line side of things they also improved the secondary on the defense signing john johnson at safety i think one of the more underrated signings of the offseason yeah. a very good safety uh and then they end up drafting greg newsom at cornerback so they improved a lot on the defensive side of the ball uh, but I think, obviously, what this Browns team is built around is on the offensive side, right? And Baker Mayfield was the big question mark. Uh, is he going to be consistent enough in the NFL? And when they bring in Stefanski, Stefanski brings in this new offensive system. Well, Baker flourished last year in this new system and ended up having a career year for him, completed 62% of his passes, over 3,500 yards and 26 touchdowns. The big thing here is only eight picks. Right. That's a big difference. You know, when we compare him 
we compare him, a lot of people compare him to the gunslinger mentality, the Brett Favre mentality, the guy that'll throw the ball into any coverage. And a lot of times he's going to end up with a lot of interceptions. Well, Stefanski seems to have kind of reined Mayfield in a little bit and and limited yeah, the mistakes. Yeah, I mean, er, also early in his career, right? He was that it was that rush. You you have you cannot you have to rush him and you can't give him an open man within what was it two and a half seconds to snap, right? Because right. he just get the ball out. That's why he was successful. And then you know you saw the the downfall when he had when you put pressure on him and he, he has to take more than two and a half seconds. You don't give him that quick decision. But to your point, Stefanski is. It's almost as if Stefanski has slowed the game down for him. Right. Right. He he has put people in front of him to protect him. He's giving him a chance to take more time. I don't have to, you know, he, he, he doesn't have to rush down the field. He can take his time because he doesn't have to rush down, score, and hope your defense is going to do something. The defense is now setting up to do well, and he can... Say, all right, the defense has got my back. I can get the ball back. I can get this right. back. If I make a mistake, I can get it back. He doesn't okay. have to take as many chances and all that stuff. He can be smarter and not have to worry about, you know, coming back with. He didn't have to worry about misreading points. the defense as much. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's what comes in. Uh, so we did have Craig Zero uh, sent us a question this week, um, and I think I don't know whether this is a result of our conversation last week or if this is just something off the bat. But I thought this was an interesting comment, and since we're doing fan night here a little bit, yeah, Baltimore versus Cleveland game. Week 14. Mm-hmm. If it's a movie, he says, who would you cast and why? I don't know where he's going with this. For who? Yeah. I, 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 let's go Let's go top top guys. Who are you casting for Lamar? Who are you casting for Harbaugh? I don't know. I'll let you answer this one. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, have, I, I don't know where I'm going with this either. Um, if I'm going Harbs, I got to go local guy. Josh Charles. Josh Charles. Okay. Lamar's Nick Cannon. <laughs> no. Nick Cannon? Please no. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, I have Nick, no idea. Nick Cannon with the braids and drumline. Is yes. that what you're looking at? Going for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Or didn't he play? A, he played a boxer, too, I feel like I remember, right? Wasn't he playing yeah, see, a boxer? That's something? where I would go. I'd go Michael B. Jordan. Or he was... Oh, uh, that's, oh maybe Jordan that's what I'm thinking was, of. Yeah, that was the boxer. Of. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. I can see Michael B. Jordan. That's, a, that's an interesting question. It's an interesting I'd question. have to really think about that, I was Craig. Thinking, I didn't see your question until just now. So. I was just thinking Nick Cannon got, beat Rihanna, so he must be a boxer. One of those. I'll come back with a better for, answer next week. For uh, Harvald, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid? Okay. I could kind of see that. I almost thought like Tom Cruise, but you guys really aren't putting your love affair of sports movies in this anywhere. Kevin Costner, (laughs) Tom Cruise could pull off Harbaugh. (laughs) Kevin Costner Uh, can play Eric DaCosta. How about that? (laughs) But but getting it back to the Browns, right? So the the other side of this too, right? We talk about Baker Mayfield sticking offensively. You got to talk about one of the best duos at running back in the NFL with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I mean, these guys rushed for almost 2,000 yards combined between the two of them, 18 touchdowns. Uh, had I think Hunt had over 300 yards receiving as well. This is a ridiculous yeah. duo. It doesn't matter who you have out there. Both of them can be effective, very effective running backs. Again, you got to set the edge to contain, but you can't let the off the, the defensive front. Those are defensive three. If you're going to stop guys like these, any, any team, these are the guys – they will pound, and if you if you leave a hole up the middle, they're gone. Yeah, and I, when I say they're gone, oh, they're, trust me, they're gone for 20, 30 yards. N- gone. Nick Chubb two years ago left his tread marks all over our defense. 
I think uh, Earl Thomas remembers hey, that very well. Thank hey. God he's gone. Yeah. Garnett, Garnett says Matthew McConaughey as Harbaugh. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be absolutely hilarious. Uh, right, Nick, right. King Grattan, what's up, buddy? So uh, what I think part of what made that running back duo so much better last year specifically, though, was – the Cleveland Browns offensive line has been atrocious for a very long time, yeah. right? And we t- I talked about it going into last year was that that was going to be the biggest difference for this Browns team was the the offensive line additions. They brought they drafted uh what's the kid's name? Jedrick Wills. Yeah. Uh and they signed Jack Cocklin both as your bookend tackles, right? That made a huge difference on this offensive line and I think that also played a part in Mayfield's success, right? Yeah. He's not scrambling around as much. He's not running for his life as much. He's able to kind of go through his progressions, go through his reads, and make smarter decisions. So if that offensive line can stay healthy, there's no reason that this Browns team can't stay, you know, as as one of the top yeah. teams in the in the league. I mean, we were saying last year, you know, Browns are going to do Browns things, but the, I mean, eleven and five wasn't a Browns thing. No, you know, again, so making it, the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Exactly, and qu- quickly after Barry taking over and Stavansky taking over, I mean, that's a quick turnaround compared to what it was with Kitchens, right? right. So it's there's a lot to be said there. So I want to I want to ask you then, right? Because we're, we're talking about these teams, so let's let's look at the Browns, let's look at the Bills, let's look at the Chiefs, let's look at the Ravens. Those four teams, yep, most improved. Going into this season, one through four, what would you do? Uh, most improved going into this season. So talking about improvement from last year to this year. Yeah. Just, I mean, just on paper. Everything's on paper right now because we don't know what these guys really look like as a whole against true competition and game speed. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to be a homer, but I really do think that the Ravens improved the, much, the, the most because, again, they drafted two good wide receivers, you know, one that – Everybody is saying has the potential to be a number one wide receiver in Rashad Bateman, right? Right. Uh, you're going to get some guys, a lot of guys back that were key contributors two years ago, healthy this year. Um, I know there's still some question marks, you know, people have around the offensive line, but I don't think the difference from a, even a healthy offensive line that we had last year with Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown out there to the difference this year of having if or if Ronnie Stanley comes back healthy, having Villanueva, Zeitler out there, Bradley Bozeman shifting over to center. I think that that group is going to be much better this year than they would have been last year. Okay, um, J.K. Dobbins gets a little bit more involved in the offense this year than because they kind of slow footed him in. Obviously, he didn't have yeah. preseason, have a whole lot of time to learn the offense and all that. Well, he's got an off-season of training, uh, an off-season of being in the books, you know, of, of, of learning the playbook and all of that. Yeah. So I think J.K. Dobbins' game takes another, uh, another step. You put another chip on Lamar Jackson's shoulder, and he always finds a way to prove himself, right? Historically, yeah. even going back to his, his college days, this is a guy who put up MVP numbers two years ago. A lot of experts are saying, well, he had a down year in, in, in 2020. Statistically, yeah, he had a down year, right? So... I think that's a little bit more motivation under Lamar. Okay. Um, and I, I do think that this team took the biggest step from last year to this year. All right. So then who's two through four? Oh, man. Do you want me to go through? Yeah, I said okay. one through four. Right? All right. So if we're just going to rank based off of improvements from last year, I'm going to say the Ravens one, Bills two, Browns three, Chiefs four. Okay. I don't think the Chiefs needed to do a ton. I think they did. I think they helped themselves, especially on the offensive line. Uh, but if I had to rank them, that would be the rank in which I think they made the most improvement from last year to this year. Okay. You? Uh, for me, I, to me, it, I got to say, I think the Browns, on paper, they did a lot. 
they did a lot to help out with the defense. They did a lot to help out with the, the offense and the protection and everything. Right. So I put them at one. Ravens, it's 1A, 1B. Ravens is 1B for me. Okay. I think because they didn't go out in free agency and do as, as much in free agency, we'll see what Villanueva does. Uh, but I just I just don't know. There's still enough question marks for me that I'm, eh, I'm scratching my head. Then Bills, then Chiefs. Um, okay. And it really just comes down to, I, I debated, it sounds weird saying that I debated this, but I, I debated saying f- four from four to one, being able to say Chiefs number one. And here's why I say this, because if I were saying most impressive, who looks most impressive, I would probably put them, instead of most improved, I'd put them under most impressive because they didn't lose right. very many guys. That's the big That's the big key cog that's there. When you're looking on paper as far as most improved, they had the least to have to improve. Right. So, well, And I agree with that. I, I do agree with that. Well, my whole point in bringing this up, right, was that, again, this is – you get all those preseason power rankings and all that stuff and all the, the so-called experts out there putting their list together. And these four teams are consistently in that list. But again, the variation of who ranks where changes based on yeah. who, you know, who the, who's the writer. I want to figure out what you guys think of these top four right now. If you were to create a power rankings, one through four today, we all agreed okay. Kansas City is number one, right? We've already gone through that. So we all know Kansas City is one. Where are we going? Two, three, and four. Ryan, I'll start with you. Where do you think these four teams rank if you had to put a power chart together? So a couple things go into my ranking. Uh, one thing is we give the Browns way too much credit with OBJ. It's been a real long time since he's been relevant at all, and we all just go, I haven't yeah, mentioned OBJ at all. No, no, no. Orlando I, Brown Jr., not no, OBJ. I know, no, I know. I'm just, but I'm just saying I, Odell Beckham is still in everyone's argument as like this weapon X that could come back any moment. Well, until I see it, I don't, I don't put him in there at all. Okay. Um, their running back core is unbelievable. We've already addressed that. But with the most improved type thing, I think the Ravens did the most to address their needs. Like right. we needed linemen. We needed uh, wide receivers, and we did that. Right. I was it the most improvement overall. I don't know. The Bills did nothing to me to help what their needs were. Their needs were running back, and their needs were tight end, and their and need I don't was think big, they did much. Big need was edge rusher, and they drafted two of the better edge rushers in that draft. I, in my opinion, yeah, I, were where they were picking yeah. offensively to keep up with the the people that are smoking them. I guess is where my head is with it. Right. That. Defensively, they Defensively ranked 16th in the league, so they yeah. needed to improve needed on to improve that side. All right. So then, pow- so power pow- power Chiefs. I do have the Ravens, Browns, Bills. I think the Bills slip a little bit. Really? Okay. Interesting. Yep. James? Casting couch, what do you guys got cut over there? Well, you guys didn't ask me, but I don't think the Chiefs are the power ranker. I think the Bills are the power ranker. I Ooh. think they have. Okay. So I you've got the Bills ranked number one. Over the Chiefs right now, because I don't think the Chiefs did anything with their – besides getting Orlando Brown, I think their offensive line is still shaky. They, they drafted Creed Humphrey. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that a, big was, that's a big That's a big That's guess. an immediate yeah. starter. That's the center center. that I wanted. I, yeah. College and NFL are two different things. I agree I with that. I have to see it first. Right, I, I agree with that. I have to see it to believe it. Okay, you know, so give me your four. I think Bills is is, is uh, one. Okay. I think Chief is two. I think Ravens is three. And, and uh, Cleveland's four. I think the Bills, like, they didn't have a running back and they didn't have a tight end. They still did what they did. It's impressive to me. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Drew? Drew. Uh, so, I already said it. So, what we say? The Chiefs, uh, they did – actually do a lot of improvement because you, you traded for uh, Brown, you brought in Joe Tunney, and right. you drafted Creed Humphrey. You made sure that that uh, uh, Mahomes isn't running for 400 fucking yards behind the line scrimmage again every game. Right. 
Uh, so you, they they really did. They did improve. And then, like I think we said before, you don't. They didn't. Everything else, they didn't really need to improve. A lot of other places. Exactly. Like defense. Okay. Uh, then the Ravens, because like Ryan said, uh, we made a lot of improvements, even if they weren't some something that really necessarily home runs that we see right now. They mm-hmm. did address needs, and I still think that uh, they improved by the end of the season to show almost what they were doing the year before. Right. Uh, to me, then then it's a toss up. I'm going with the Bills on it because of how I think Allen's better than uh, Mayfield. Mayfield, but the I mean they have a really good corner, uh, White for yeah. Buffalo, yep. and I like Edmonds, but their defense otherwise is kind of shaky. Yeah, uh, and I mean the offensive line's okay. Like I would, that's where I give them the nudge over the Browns because I see that you add Newsom and the Jude. I still think the secondary for Cleveland has issues because I really like the uh, dude Ward, but he's kind of gets Denzel injured a lot Ward, too. Yeah. yeah, right. And what Ryan said too, I, I'm tired of hearing about Beckham when you talk I about wide receivers because clearly when there anyone wants to say it in the NFL as far as like pundits and shit, right. that team was better without Beckham playing. So <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of hearing his name ever. All right, yeah. I agree. Scott, where do you got him? For me, I've got, I've got Kansas City, Ravens, Cleveland, Bills. Really interesting. And the reason I the reason I, I flip Cleveland and Bills there is I think when you look at it on paper they just did they did a lot more on on defense to help shirt up. You know, the Bills did some right. Mm-hmm. I think they they did enough to be able to do it. But can he repeat? Right. That's gonna be that's gonna be the thing. Can Allen repeat? Yeah. You know the the performance that he had. Can Diggs continue to repeat? Um, it's again very close. It's I don't think. I don't know that there's with this with this four. I don't. If I'm being honest, I don't know that there's a wrong answer. You know, and it's because of the fact that these teams all went out and did something in this off season or within the past two seasons to put themselves in the position that they've been in. I mean, we're talking about three teams that were 11 and five plus last year. Right. Right. We're not talking about a team that was that was six and four or you know six and and ten last year. Right. Right. We're talking about teams, three teams that went pretty far and got into the playoffs. So I, I think it's really a toss up. You can you can make it go any way. I know that um, I think I saw in there we had a few people: Joe Carlozo, Casey, Ravens, Bills, Cleveland. Um, I think we I had got Craig Zero, Kansas City, Bills, Baltimore, Cleveland, and then Garnett West has the Browns at number one, and then Bills, <laughs> Chiefs, Ravens. Okay, all right. So for me, I've got Kansas City number one. Uh, obviously, we've made that pretty clear now, right? Uh, for me, number two, I do believe in Josh Allen. I do believe in the Bills, and I do believe in what they did in this offseason. I think Josh Allen is the the one of the better overall quarterbacks, meaning that, yeah. you know, obviously we all know what Lamar can do both on the ground and through the air. Josh Allen is that next line of being able to do both. Right? He's he well-rounded. Can, yeah, he's a very well-rounded quarterback. And then to improve as much as he did in his accuracy, just adding Stefan Diggs last year was huge. You add Emmanuel Sanders and get a healthy Cole Beasley back, I think that's big. Uh, the added improvements on the offensive line, the added depth there. There's just a lot to like about Buffalo, and I think the added improvements on the defense will make Josh Allen's job a little bit easier this year yeah i like the bills path third i've got the ravens sitting there i do believe that the ravens made a lot addressed like ryan has said addressed a lot all their needs uh put basically an emphasis on getting lamar the weapons that he needs to be successful right yeah that 2019 year when he was the mvp he did it with much less talent 
right? right? Again, you get a J.K. Dobbins, who is a much more dynamic running back than they had out of Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards uh, in 2019. You add Dobbins to that, that mix, you're not going to be able to center in on Lamar as some teams might want to. And I think, again, Lamar's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to prove to prove, you know, that he is back and that yeah. he can be that that MVP type candidate year in and year out. Uh, and then I do believe that the Browns will come in right underneath that at fourth. I like a lot of things that the Browns are doing, uh, but I, I got to see it consistently. I think, consistently to I think we got it. some irony going on in the in the uh, the chat room here because Garnett says until we get over the hump, I will never put Baltimore over Kansas City. But yet you put the Browns over them. <laughs> Are you serious, Garnett? Like that's your argument for not putting the Ravens over KC, but you're going to put Browns over that? What hump have the, the Browns really gotten over? Well, let me show you. That's why he put it in two different. He put it in two different comments. That way, we missed it. <laughs> yeah. He just made sure. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That, that was strategic. Uh, I, listen. <laughs> I do believe in the Browns. I do think that the, the Browns are going to be a very good football team this year. Um, and I, I think I understand Garnett's point, right? And Lamar's even said it publicly that Kansas City is our kryptonite. And until you can prove that you can beat Kansas City, they are going to be ranked ahead of you. So, oh, yeah, to I, his point, I, I understand. I get why that, you're but you can't that. you can't make that your argument and then put the Browns at the top of that list. <laughs> I get that. I mean, and not to no no offense either, but the Bills are the same way. Like the Bills, the Bills have so many up and down years. Right, right. That you don't know whether is it coaching, is it is it management, is it locker room. You don't know. They seem to be trending better, but. I'm still scratching my head about what's going to happen. So right. I, I just think that argument, that's what I'm going at, Garnett, is that argument seems a little little one-sided there. All right, so Adi uh, comments said, would you rather go after Julio or Ertz? Ertz allows EDC to get a pass rusher like Ingram or Vernon or Houston, unlikely in this scenario. Uh, yes and no. So personally i think Ertz would be the better value because as much as i love julio jones and i think julio jones there's no question is he the better player yes but i think Ertz allows us that more dynamic two tight end pass catching threat that we that we had a couple of years ago that we're not going to have again this year we'll see what happens you know with some of these younger guys like eli wolf and training camp if he can make a name for himself but Zach Ertz and Mark Andrews out on the field giving Lamar options on between the hashes on both sides yeah. with the tight ends would be huge. Um, and, and again, I just... If he's not much, washed. <laughs> as much as I like Julio Jones, I just don't know how impactful he'd be in this offense, in the offensive system. It's not that I don't think Lamar can use him. It's how much would Greg Roman use him to his benefit. Yeah, to the end of that point. But Jul we would definitely get use out of Zach Julio, Julio Jones would, would be more successful. Of like the teams that we just talked about, Julio Jones is going to be way more successful in Cleveland or Buffalo than he ever would be with the Ravens as those schemes are set currently. Right, so uh, it's there. Go ahead, James. I know you've been you've been itching over there. Uh, I just want to say uh, with Ertz, I think it's more likely it could work. It'll be better for us because I think most likely he's going to get released, and then we can sign him for a, a better, cheaper deal than Julio would cost to come in here. But I think Julio would make this team and wide receivers a lot better, anyways. Yeah, I'm not, listen again. I said it last week. Bringing Julio Jones in here, I don't think anybody in this room is going to uh, argue bringing in Julio Julio Julio, Julio Jones. <laughs> God makes this Julio team <laughs> makes this team Julio much better. But, but Fred, I got one. Like yeah, like I think it'd be great to bring Julio Jones in because if we have to personally give up a number one, 
our number ones, I don't think it's going to be a high number one. It's going to be a low number one compared to if if you're like uh, top ten giving up number one is is a lot to give up. I don't see Eric DaCosta giving up a number one. I don't care what year it is. I don't think is. anybody's going to give up a number one for him because even though they're talking about we have a number one, he would have been, been traded already. I don't think there's no number one. It's, it's Atlanta blowing smoke up all these teams like, oh, hurry up and rush to give a number one. I think he's worth a number two. Yeah. But I don't think anybody's going to give it number one, especially for the money that's... that's yeah, if, if the asking price is a second-round pick, a future second-round pick, I'm on board with that to get Julio in. And if you can make it work financially without it like being detrimental, yeah, yeah I'd do that. But I still think the benefit of bringing Zach Ertz, immediate impact into this offense, I think, in, in my opinion, I think is better based on this offensive game plan that we know it today. We don't know what this offense is going to look like with the addition of T. Martin and and Keith Williams and how much does Greg Roman really allow them to influence in the game, like in the game plan. He said it, right? We've all heard people talk shit and say say things all the time. We just don't know what's actually going to be reality. I'm just talking about... The offensive system that we know of as today, Correct. I think Zach Ertz has a bigger impact than Julio Jones. Garnett says, Julio make the team change philosophy in all honesty. I truly believe we're going to switch up offense scheme. We learned from our mistakes last year when keeping four running backs. Preach it, Garnett. I hope so, I sure as hell hope you're right, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Greg Roman's history tells you otherwise. Greg Roman has his scheme. He has what it is. And we drafted outside of Bateman. We drafted to help that scheme, right? You you get the offensive mm-hmm. line, you get offensive linemen to be able to help and protect Lamar a little bit. I don't know that you know you go out and get Bateman if you really want to do that. Yes, you would have done that in free. You could have done it in free agency. I just don't. I don't know that Greg Roman's going to change. I, I listen. The, the pieces that they drafted, I think, could be very impactful in a totally different scheme offense for the Ravens. But I think the biggest piece to this was the coaching additions. Like I said, T. Yeah. Martin and Keith Williams, how much do they push the envelope? How much do they impact? I was so like giddy when I saw the, the rookie ca- training camp videos come out. It was literally like a 10-second clip of T. Martin working with the with Bateman and, and Wallace just coming out of routes and simple things like that that I don't know. I don't know what the coaching staff was doing prior, right. but it was something that I was paying attention to, something I wanted to see if there was going to be an impact, and right away we're already seeing videos on day one of rookie minicamp of these guys putting in work. So That's good. That's it, a good sign. In that thought process, in that theory, mm-hmm. right? if you're saying that that's, that's a reason that gives you hope that we're thinking we could change the scheme here. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that Greg Roman thought that n- we didn't have wide receivers that could do that for the past two and a half years? I think Greg Roman's seat is warm. We like Borderline our guys, Scott. And I think <laughs> I, re- I really think that this was a decision that came from way above Greg Roman's head that said, listen, we need to put your, f- your f- you know, feet to the fire. Uh, we're going to put some weapons around you. We're going to put some other coaches around you that are going to help give you the the pieces that you need to evolve your playbook and evolve your scheme and see what happens. And I, listen, I hope you're right. I, I, I think, really do. I really think if the Ravens end up finishing in the bottom of the league in the passing game again this year, Greg Roman's job is done. That's yeah. my opinion. I really think because I mean they were the 32nd ranked passing offense in the NFL last year. That's the last place team, and it was by a large margin. If we don't see improvement in there, how can you justify keeping Greg Roman? There's no justification for that. Yeah. Right?
All right, Ryan, it's time for a social media shout-out. Who's been out there? Who's chiming in? Any good questions or anything going on? All right, we got Stephanie Hemley with the first comment. Victory. Uh, I got Dominic Henson. Craig Zero um, has the first comment we'll read here. The Browns you know, in paper are good, but execution is everything. So no matter how much talent they have, you have to you have to get you there. What's the point? If you don't get there, what's the point? That's kind of what it is. They they're the all season champs every year for the last three years. A lot a lot years. of team a lot of pundits have been very high on the Browns going in year in and year out. But listen, the Browns last year was different. The Browns proved that they could get to the playoffs. They proved that they can get to the second round, which is no different than what the the Ravens did. Ravens got to the second round as well. So. The they Browns, proved they complete, compete in tough games last year, too. Right. I mean, throughout the year, they had, they had a few tough games. Hey, they they got well. better. They yeah. got better. Go ahead, Ryan. All right. Uh, after Craig's there, we got Steven Seavers, Jacob Paul, Travis Whitfield, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Lamar's daddy over here with our next comment. He said, we may have drafted OO because he does have the speed to disrupt Lamar. I thought it was a hell of a comment. I mean, you can be as talented as a defensive player as you want, but if you're slower than Lamar, you're at a strong disadvantage. And this is one of the few people that have came out that have serious speed that could have maybe caught that man from behind. And we haven't seen him on tape. I don't think he could catch him from behind, but maybe with that historic speed. That's true. I mean, listen. If it, you're drafted defensively, that's, that's kind of cool. It was kind of, well, I don't think that was the sole reason behind it, but that's two birds with one stone, right? Yeah. You drafted a position at need with a high, a player with a high ceiling, and you kept him with that kind of speed from going to a rival team in the AFC that could potentially mm -hmm. be exactly be a Lamar killer. Uh, next people we have here, King Bratton, Garnett West, and Justin Marshall. Uh, Joe C. with our final comment, which will bring us nicely into the Orioles section. <laughs> hey, Drew, how you feeling? I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt good by the time we got to, to Bobby Flay's. So. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> All right, Scott, it's time for some bros, bows, and o's, unfortunately, as we got to talk about this Orioles team that yeah. has now lost 14 straight games. That's where we're going right that's, now. That's not good, right? No, that's no, not good, That's Ryan. not good. Good <laughs> assessment. Let's, let's see. 17 uh, this, and 37 this, overall. This, since, the, since the team Yeesh. got there in 1954, this is the second worst um, losing losing skid that they've been on. That's uh, really sad. We were worse. <laughs> it was in 1956. There was a 14. Uh, there was a 14 game skid, uh, but it doesn't beat the 88 series. The 88 year when it was a train wreck. Was it 21? It was 20, 21 games. 21. That was a start the season First though. Wasn't it, what, yeah. wasn't it 0 and 21 to start it? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I was born in 88. I was built to not like this game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, so this it, it just it hasn't been good. We're gonna try to find some some bright spots and talk about those. But overall, seventeen and thirty seven in the AL East, we are now seventeen and a half games back and produced the work, worst record in, in baseball. Um, obviously, we talked we talked about the fourteen game skin skid really hurting us. May was a, a rough month for us, and so I wanted to, I wanted to get your everybody's opinion on this. Kind of thinking back and knowing what we've been through this month. In your opinion, where's the bigger issue at? Is the bigger issue with pitching, you know, or where is it? Let me rephrase that. Where's the bigger issue with pitching? Is it the rotation or is it the pen? Give me a dart and let me throw it at the board. Wherever it lands is going to be the right answer. It doesn't matter because they're terrible in both sides. If I had to pick one, I'm going to just pick the, the starting rotation only because outside of John Means, John Means is the one gold nugget, the one diamond in the rough, you know, the, the only thing going good for this pitching staff as a whole is yeah. John Means. 
outside of that, they have no starting pitchers with a, an ERA below five right now. I think actually it's below 5.25 to be technical <laughs> to be, with it. Yeah. The, this pitching staff, I get it. Hitting-wise, we're not putting up a ton of runs. They're not getting the run support, but it, run support means nothing if you're giving up over five runs a game and you're only going out there for four, five innings and then the bullpen keeps getting taxed. I feel like we're beating a dead horse. It's the same thing week in and week out. We say the same things. For me, if I got to pick, the, the, the rotation has to be better. Okay. James, what do you think? Is it the problem of the rotation or is it the pen? It's a fucking team. <laughs> it's the whole thing, dude. Come to your head. Rotation or pen? <laughs> That's a that's a toss up. <laughs> it depends on how the weather is that day. They're both bad. Yeah. Besides, I, besides, <laughs> Jacob said, "Sorry, I had to put the kids to sleep." The O's lose another game yet. <laughs> besides, John, pretty Lee, accurate. It's, it's it's both terrible, dude. All right, Drew. Uh, f- still, for me, it's the starting pitching because until the middle of May. I mean, that bullpen was still doing pretty decent. Then yeah. they started blowing games. They're taxed. They're taxed. I mean, that we, we that was our worry anyway. It was the thing that we always brought up when we said that the bullpen was doing so good. Uh, all right, but how, when did the wheels come off in the bullpen? And then you got a guy like Armstrong who should never be out there. But <laughs> I, right. I make sure we bring him up, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to me, it's still a rotation because it, it literally – it's really only been means. Yeah, Harvey had a bright spot for a couple of games, but then that literally, I mean, just – Tailspin. I think he went to New York and like fucked his head up. Something, something. Yeah. something. yeah, it was right around that game that he's yeah. his and whole just, season went to shit. Uh, you know, like yeah, Kramer and Zimmerman have really put together. Lopez, he looked good. Might be coming out of it. Lopez, Lopez, yeah, man. If we could, if support. if somehow we could get by with a bullpen that allows Lopez to pitch five innings, Lopez would be great. <laughs> But anything beyond five, once he yeah. gets through that third time through the through the batting order, he has just been rough. Well, this uh, this ought to be interesting. Ryan, what's your opinion? Uh, I don't have mass, and I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, simple enough. I, I'm right there with you guys. I'm torn. If I'm going to put something on, it's the rotation. The rotation started out the season in April looking well, but has since fallen apart. Um, everybody's figuring them out, and it's the pitch sequencing, in my opinion. Um, I think the pitch sequencing has is, is gotten a little bit too predictable outside of means. He's the only one that mixes it up the most. I mean, even from a standpoint of the, the pen mixing up pitches, I think like Valdez is a prime example, and I'm going to talk about him in a little bit, but the pitches just aren't being mixed up there. Yeah. And so I think if we can start mixing up the pitches a little bit more uh, – you know, we're talking about catchers calling games, right? But really, I think it's the rotation. You have to be able to get six innings. You have to get six innings, period, um, in order to be successful and be able to do anything. We are seeing, you know, some bright spots and things like that, but that's the bigger issue. So we address we address pitching, right? Yeah. I want to take this a step further. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the team as a whole. Bigger problem on with pitching or offense? I've already said it. I mean, again... <laughs> I don't care how many runs you're putting up offensively. If your pitching staff, starting pitching staffs, are giving up over five runs a game, that's a problem. Like, and that's to yeah. me the bigger issue. And again, it's not one or two guys. You got a five-man rotation out there. Four fifths of your starting rotation <laughs> is awful. Yeah, awful. And this was my worry. It was like. We bring in a guy like Matt Harvey, who I understand we were trying to hope that he would show some promise and maybe we could flip him for a prospect and that kind of thing. But 
You can't even flip him for a penny right now. Right, but he's he's basically taking up another spot on the Major League Baseball roster that if you're going to accept losing and you're going to accept you know, learning in the role and learning on the job, well, then get Matt Harvey out of there and bring somebody else up and let them fumble through and let them take their bumps and let them get through all these rough stints at the Major League level. Let them prove themselves. Let them learn on the job. Matt Harvey at this point is doing nothing more than taking up a roster spot. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the other thing that, that I kind of was looking at and going with this, um, because it, it really is a flip. It's a flip of the coin in in all reality, and here's why. The Orioles are third worst in the league for run differential. It's now minus 68. Last time I think we talked to them, we brought it up, it was minus 63. It's now minus 68. So looking at some of the some of the information that, that I was able to, to dig up, just on the AL East, run scored. We're scoring 202. Yankees also 202. Mm. Toronto Blue Jays 261, 269 for the Red Sox, 273 for Tampa Bay. Big discrepancy, 60. That's almost that's almost the entire differential right there. We're not scoring runs. But here's the kicker. You flip it the other way. Runs allowed. Tampa Bay has 210 and actually the first is actually the Yankees. Yankees are only allowing 194. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, the Tampa Bay Rays at 210. Then behind that, the, the Jays at 219. Then 224 for the Sox. And then all the way down at 270 are the Orioles. So th- this really shows you it is literally a flip of the coin where the problem is. Well, yes and no. Because look at the example you use for the Yankees and the Orioles, right? Both of them are scoring 202 runs scored. Yankees have won 29 games. The Orioles have won 17. The Yankees have won 12 games more than the, than the Orioles with the same run scored, same offensive output. The big difference there is the runs pitching. against. It's the pitching. Yeah. That's, the Yankees have only given up 194 runs. We've given up 270. That's 80 runs differential. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, like it's. I think that's it, – it's – it goes both ways because the run support could. We don't know how many games. I mean, how many games have we said if this guy just had Jorge Lopez? If he just had run support. Would he have more wins? A few times we've said if John Means had run support, would he have a few more? Would we be in a better position here? It's it goes both ways, and that's that's what my point in bringing that up was. When you look at the overall from first to last, from highest to lowest, it literally covers our run differential right yeah. on either side of it. Usually, you can see it's one side or the other. It's both. That's the bigger problem. It's both here. And that's what we're looking at. And it's really it's really hurting us. And I think when you look at it, it, it it's hurting us. But there are some bright spots. I said we were going to try to look at some of the bright things with yeah. the Orioles. When you look at this roster right now for yourself, what are some things that you're looking at that are bright spots for you? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, it was early on in the year, obviously, Cedric Mullins, right? But his batting average is kind of tailored off to a more, to a more realistic yeah 295 right now which i'm not saying he's doing bad he's just kind of come down to reality um obviously trey mancini the numbers that he's putting up uh lead i don't know if he's still leading the league in rbis he's right now at third, this point third, no, no. Drop down you, to third. remember he'll miss a few games okay yeah. um so he he is obviously a bright spot um really for me that's it when you're talking offense. And then, obviously, on the pitching side of things, John Means is the only guy for me. Valdez, I mean, yeah, he started off good, but I feel like that whole dead fish pitch, you know, it's just 
people are catching up to it. People are waiting on it. People are being more patient for it. And now you're starting to see him give up more hits, more runs. Yeah. Um, so there really just hasn't been a whole lot to hang your hat on with the team. That's the frustration. No, there, there hasn't. And the Valdez thing, like the, the big thing about Valdez, right, is he started struggling um, in May. He's really struggled in May. Nine runs through six innings pitched, yeah. right? The interesting thing here, assisting pitching coach Darren Holmes wants to wants him to use the fastball more instead than rely on the changeup and that occasional slider that he's been throwing. We said early in the season the slider looked good, the changeup has looked good, but the issue here is he's not throwing the fastball. He hit 97 the other day. Wow. Right? He needs to mix it up. But the interesting thing that Valdez I Valdez hit 97? He hit 97 the other day. I missed that. Yes. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was Thursday or Friday's game. Definitely. Uh, th Thursday. I guess it had to be Thursday because he didn't play on Friday. Um, I'm sure you didn't need to wipe your glasses when you were looking at that radar gun. 100% hundred percent sure. Confirmed by Steve Molesky wow. and Rockabaco. Wow. Okay. So uh, it is possible. <laughs> so it is possible. Exactly. Um, but the interesting point about that statement, did you notice who I said? Assistant. Yeah. Coach. Chris Holt's been out multiple weeks now. Yeah. Right. Apparently some personal issue. We don't know. Nothing has come out on exactly what it was. Right. But they're saying that he was remotely involved. Well, upon his return, Lopez goes six innings pitch, one run, five hits, two walks, seven Ks, and a ratio of 90 strikes to 60 balls. He pitched 150. I'm sorry, 60 strikes and 90 balls. Uh, 60 strikes and out of 90 pitches. Scratch that. <laughs> so uh, yeah. He pitched and 150 was, pitches in I put one the wrong, year. I put the wrong note there. <laughs> it's six innings. That's not good. <laughs> I put Jim the wrong Palmer note there. come out of retirement? No. So nine, 90 pitches through six, but 60 of them were for strikes. Got it. So he's becoming more accurate. He's a little less wild. Yeah. Is that Holt coming back maybe a little bit and he, working with him? He's been trying to work with him remotely. The other thing that goes here, who called the game? Yeah. yeah. Francisco wasn't there. Pedro Severino wasn't in there. Austin, Austin wins. wins. And I know that he had the, the wild pitch, but he still called a better game. Right. We'll see. Time's going to tell with, with this team and with Austin wins behind the plate. Is it an improvement or not? Yeah, I, I mean, they needed over they the two absolutely to needed to make a change, right? Yeah. And Austin Wins was the only guy really down. They had that guy, uh, what's his name, Cumberland or whatever that's down there in AAA yeah. who's doing, doing well as well. Honestly, I'd, I'd be all right if they DFA'd Cisco and Severino and brought up Cumberland and Wins, right? And those are your yeah. new catchers. And then move Adley Rutschman up to AAA. I'd be perfectly fine with that. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think Wins... You know, he hasn't proven anything at the major league level yet, but no. it was a position that they absolutely had to try something. It was a struggle, too, because he also went over for 4 at the plate um, in that game. I it, honestly, it at this point, don't even care what he does at the plate. Make the catches at the plate when you're catching. <laughs> yeah. Or and, like he didn't do in the game yesterday. He had one. He had one. But I get I, that. I, what? He yeah. had a glaring one that gave the game-winning run. Yeah. I would do. I do about that one as a little bit more of a wild pitch. Wait a second. If it was Severino or Cisco, we would have a whole segment devoted to war towards. Look what he fucking did. Severino and Cisco has been consistent. I'm giving. This is his first start. I'm going to give wins the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not saying we can't give him a complete leeway when he calls. I'm not giving. I'm not giving him leeway. All I'm saying was there had to be a change, and there wasn't any other change to make. So wins was the next. You're not bringing. I know. I know. Yeah. So it would have been wins is the next guy in line. Yeah, it sucks. The first game he gives up a pass ball, and we're going to have to monitor it, right? Like I said, I'd be all right if they DFA'd all these guys. And brought up Rutschman to AAA and bring up Cumberland. I, I'm fine with that. 
But this move had to happen. Hey, Fred, I think... I think uh, Scott's saying, I think uh, Matt Wieters is sitting at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Wieters yeah. just got dumped by USA Baseball, so. Yeah, and so here's, can't here's even the make the Olympics. That isn't going to happen. So. Here's, the one, here's the one thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you about that wild pitch. Oh, Drew. No, I, I, I think you need to go back and watch the video of the wild pitch from Severino and look at the wild pitch from Wins. I'm not comparing something that happened five, four, three weeks ago to, to what Wins did. He still had a pass ball that they counted as a wild pitch. Who wins? Did you see? I I understand what you're saying. It's a it's a wild pitch. Did you see where the pitch was? But you still if you're still stop, doing stop. your job Just right. Answer right. the question. No, Did I'm you see where the pitch was? I don't know. I, I I was waiting to say it and he got me. The only catcher opinions that can happen here are those. Learn sure. something, Drew. Hey, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> no. My point is. I'm not going to defend him. <laughs> my my point is with that pitch, it hit in the batter's box. The difference between the same two pitches, when Severino saw the same exact pitch in the batter's box, he reached out for it with a glove. Wins did the typical thing that you're supposed to do. It is basic baseball as a catcher. You get in front of it. He went and blocked. It took a bad bounce off his chest protector, but the ball was, he was still squared up to the ball when it hit. He did it what he was a, supposed he to do. He did That's exactly. That, and that was my point, is that there's a difference between lazily going after a ball and doing what you're supposed to do to protect it. If he gets a bad bounce, it, the ball bounced bad. I look at it and I say the ball bounced bad. You're looking at it, you say wild pitch. That's fine. And you're right. Time's going to tell. But we'll start watching on some of these, these wild pitches that otherwise were wild pitches under Cisco and Severino that he's going to be getting in front, front of because he is a more mechanically sound catcher than either of those guys were. And Drew, mind you, Wins did not play last year at all. Oh, that's okay. right. Yeah, he yeah, probably he's warming up. He, he, probably played, he probably played outfield in, in Little League Ball, too. And not, oh, my God. Gotcha. Uh, all right, hey, so. I have a question, though. Does he have a deck or a patio? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, so so one of the things that we were we were trying to do uh, over this course of this weekend was we were trying to get out and see some of this minor league talent that we've been talking about now for the last few weeks, last few months, really, right? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we get up to Bowie, the game gets rained out, so we don't get a chance to see it in person, but it's not going to stop us from talking about it. And what I wanted no. to look at is how some of these recent turnover in trades have looked. You yeah. know, Some of these recent trades that we've had, some of the bigger names and some of the prospects that come back from them, not not a conversation of did we win the trade or did we not win the trade because we won't know until some of these guys get to the major league level. But yeah. based on what some of these guys have done so far and the progression that they've made so far on their journey to getting to the major league level, do we like the return and investment so far? And I'll start with you, Drew, right? So we'll talk about, obviously, the big trade, right, Was the, the big piece, Manny Machado, right, gets traded to the Dodgers, and in return, the prize piece in that deal, using uh, Al Diaz, mm -hmm. who is currently at AAA, I think still dealing with some injury issues yes. there. Yeah. You got Dean Kramer, who's had some some time here at the major league level. He's you know currently working through some of his things right now. Ryland Bannon, who is also at the AAA level right now, having some struggles offensively. He's that that third. They said he would be the third baseman potentially of the future. Uh, he's had some struggles. Zach Pop, who I was kind of high on him. Unfortunately, we ended up losing him in the Rule 5 draft to Miami. He's yep. done good things down there in Miami so far. And then uh, I think the last piece in that tra uh, trade was Brevik uh, Valara, who I don't even know where he's at like at name. this point. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 
Not a whole lot of major league level impact yet. But do you like the return and investment so far on that Machado trade? We said it before. I, I still don't know if I even like the return and investment yet because Kramer's been so hot and cold. Right. And you're 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 getting on borderline point with Diaz or like, all right, well, like, are you ever gonna stay healthy or is there ever gonna be some kind of excuse not given for this guy to be up yet? Right. Because at first I was kinda like going into the season, I was like, Okay, well look, there's kinda no point in him starting on the major league roster yet. Get all the time out in AAA. You're going to get starting work there, and the outfield's going to be congested in Baltimore. But then it's like, then he got injured again. I, it's just, it's kind of the start stop nature you see of some young players where you're just like, all right, well, when are you going to be able to like show it? Right. Not even like, even show that you're bad yet. Cause you don't, like, it's, it's so unknown with him. You don't know. You can't have there's nothing to even come up with as a fan to be like, oh yeah, well he'll he'll be there soon enough. Right. And like he's doing okay. It's just like, you know, he's working on things, you kinda of give up excuses and then you'll see him in July or something. Like you don't even really know you still don't know what you have in him. Right. Yeah. I think the other thing to call out here the what is it, the P T B N L players to be named later. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite. And cash uh um considerations. Cash considerations. <laughs> well, we talked about Zach Pop being gone. Mm-hmm. I just look it up. Bravik Valera, we got rid of him not long after we got him. He was gone at the end of or in uh, January of 2019. Okay, right, well, so I he was just a, a tail end piece. So was, really, yeah. the, the prize pieces in that trade were going to be Diaz, Kramer, Bannon. They Bannon, had Bannon. Yeah. They had some hope for, and then Zach Pop, who unfortunately is no longer well, in the organization. Yeah. I just want to say, I think we won with the Machado trade. We, we could, definitely won. We could have got better if we were trading him a year before, but I think we won because he didn't sign with the Dodgers. That's so a, we, that's, he was that's, that's exactly right. He was walking he was a, anyway. He was a rental yeah. player. They didn't re-sign him. They didn't they win a World Series a title. And we got some of their top yeah. prospects they back were, for him. So we won that win. trade if you're asking who won it. Yeah. But that's the ridiculous statement. I, I don't care who won the trade. It's more so, are we happy with the return on investment that we got? You know, we knew. We knew we weren't signing Machado. It wasn't going to happen, right? So we had to get something for him. Mm-hmm. To Drew's point, we don't really know what we have yet. They have progressed from the AA level to the AAA level. As he said, Diaz has got to stay healthy. I mean, I like what I've seen when he has been healthy, yeah. but he's got to stay on the field in order to be effective. Um, Dean Kramer, I'm not giving up on him. He's mm-hmm. got electric stuff. I like what the kid do, you know does, and and I think this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where he needs to get his work in and get his bumps in at the major league level. I'm okay with seeing him struggle this year at the major league level. Uh, let him get his lumps because I think he'll be better for it in the future. So I'm good so far on the return of investment for the Machado trade. Next trade, Dylan Bundy. Yep. Right? This was the next Roger Clemens. That's what everybody kept saying. He's going to be that next, like, organizational number one. He's got an arm talent like Clemens, throws in the high 90s, low, you know, low 100s even as a high school Gatorade All-American. He was everything, right? He was touted to be everything. But just like every other highly touted Orioles pitcher, he had nothing but arm issues, injury issues, developmental issues. You know, he he eventually made it to the major league level, and he was decent here, but he never lived up to that number one overall prospect status that everybody expected him to be. Well, he also blew out his arm, which didn't help. I know that's what right? I'm saying. And he had the injuries through all of that stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thing you have to you have to look at look at here, and 
yes, he didn't pan out, but did he pan out because Dylan Bundy didn't pan out, or did he pan out because the Orioles didn't know how to use pitching? That's what I'm saying. He fell into that injury, lack of development, just black hole that was the Orioles organization during that time, right? Yeah. But we look at what we got in return for Dylan Bundy. Again, another player who didn't have a whole lot of value when we were trading him. Really, the only value was that he was a major league starting pitcher that was decently young and had a decent arm. That's all we had to sell on him, right? But in return for Bundy, we get right-handed pitcher Isaac Matson, which I'll be honest with you, I don't even know where he's at. He's on the 40-man roster. Okay. Where is he at in the organization? Is he in- uh, I believe he's in Delmarva right now. Delmarva. Or not Delmarva. Um Aberdeen? Ab- no, Boo. I think he might be in Bowie. Hang on okay. a second. I just had it up. So outside of Matson, you got right-handed pitcher Zach Peak, right-handed pitcher Kyle Bradish, who has ended up being the cream of the crop in that trade, right-handed pitcher Kyle Brenovich, who's another piece that has been up and down a little bit. He's had a, a, a good start to this year as well. So you got two decent right-handed pitchers, which developmentally, uh, what's his name? Matt Blood was talking the other day. He puts Kyle Bradish in that same tier as the Grayson Rodriguez, as the DL Hall. Those are the top three pitchers right now, according to Blood, in the Orioles organization. So for me, even if Bradish is the only thing that comes of this trade of significant value, even if these other guys fall on their face and they're gone, you've won that trade. You've won that trade because, again, Dylan Bundy... He ain't doing shit in L.A. He's not doing no. shit in L.A. He didn't do anything when he was here. He had injury histories. He wasn't coming back here. He, he was another guy that seemed just, like, checked out. He seemed to want to be out hunting deer and fishing and doing those things. It didn't seem to buy in. And what was crazy about that is when you watched him being recruited out of high school, what was so impressive about Dylan Bundy was his work ethic. The, I mean, I remember the workout videos that he put, you know, he put up of him hitting the, the heavy bag and doing the weight training. I mean, this kid looked like a grown man at 17, 18 years old. Uh, but I just never saw that equate at the major league level. It still hasn't equated. So again, I think personally, if Kyle Bradish comes out and can and can be a major league contributor in a starting rotation in the future, the Orioles win that trade. Matson's at Norfolk, by the way. He's at Norfolk. What's yeah. he doing? Did you have any stats or anything? No, uh, that's okay. He, he was, his ERA was like three-something. Okay. Drew, what's your take on the Dylan Bunny uh, trade? Well, I love Kyle Bradish. Yeah. I'm just going to say that enough. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, – without going into super gushing over Bradish, it is really good detail to see out of blood putting him up there with the upper echelon with yeah. those two because if you come out and, and, and you got a guy that would know better saying that, and then you look at all three of those guys, and their strikeout percentage is so, like the tops of the minors. Like that's a really good sign. Like right. I'm hoping I'm not getting too too far ahead of myself with a guy. I mean, yeah, you can. That's another could be one of those players that, yeah, you look great in the minors, and then you know you fizzle out, or you could be like a Kramer, or, or you know it could be hot cold for a while, and then you're sketchy about. But I I, I expect big things. Out <laughs> Alex said Bundy gave up two or three home runs last night. Yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, scratch, scratch what I said about, about uh, Matson. <laughs> Apparently, I I didn't. I had it scrolled a little too Apparently, far. Apparently, you were just trying to pull a stat out your ass. No, it was scrolled a little too far. It was scrolled <laughs> a little too far. Uh, he, he has a thirteen five. Oh yeah, you, you know? forgot. Oh, you forgot yeah. a one yeah. in, the front, one in front of it. I didn't see it. Yeah, Jesus can Christ! He, can he catch? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I still think the Orioles win Better that trade. <laughs> if Bradish can continue the kind of progression that he's shown so far, he's now at the AAA level, I believe, right? Is, is he in Norfolk? Did he just get moved to Norfolk, or is he up at AA? 
Bradish. Bradish. Uh, yeah, he just had a second uh, start Sunday in Triple A. Yeah, in Triple A. That's what I thought. Okay. The, the first start wasn't bad. It wasn't the start well, in Bowie. I mean, what were you comparing to? We had a zero yeah, ERA going yeah. up there. It was still a, g- a good outing, and then the last outing was kind of what you had seen in Bowie. So I think yeah, he gave up one earned run in that game and maybe a couple of hits. It wasn't. It wasn't much at all. Yeah, he's he's keeping it up. Yeah. So again, Hopefully. if Bradish can prove to be an effective major league starter, we win that trade. Going back uh, to one of our better closers in Orioles history, Zach Britton, right? This was one of the ones that kind of hurt me, even though I knew where the Orioles were going with. I love Zach Britton. I yeah. love it, just his personality, his character, everything. Uh, and the fact that he ended up going to the Yankees hurt even more. <laughs> but the Orioles get back right-handed pitcher Dylan Tate, left-handed pitcher Josh Rogers, who was just, I think, released the other day, uh, and left-handed pitcher Cody Carroll which Cody Carroll was a name that was kind of highly touted. I haven't heard a whole lot about him in recent, uh, over the last year, really. But Dylan Tate's a guy that's kind of been that 4A player for us. He's kind of, he's shown he's got electric stuff at both the AAA and the major league level. His problem is his accuracy and his command and, and being able to control the strike zone consistently. Um, Tate's, so, got, Tate's got a, a 490, 494 ERA. So at the at the major league level, right. um, we talk about Josh Rogers being gone, and Cody Carroll is at Norfolk right now with a seven five ERA. Yeah. So really, the only piece out of that trade that's shown any promise is Dylan Tate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would think the Orioles lost out on that deal, Drew. Yeah, I mean seven's better than thirteen. I guess that's what I was <laughs> laughing about. Uh, Dylan Tate, yeah, because you he was you, you brought him in to be kind of you were thinking it was a starter uh, prospect. Uh, it seemed like he found a little bit of a, a role out in the pen yeah. in middle relief, and then he had the injury, and maybe he didn't come back so stellar. So, I mean, that could be one of those things where, like, yeah, your ARA looks bad now, but it's you also come back from an injury and have a bad start or two, I mean, a bad outing or two, and then it, your shit balloons up, but then you could have five straight good outings, and you're, it comes, like, all the way back down. Right. So I, I think I like to give him the benefit of the doubt because early on it looked like he found a decent role in the, in the pen. I agree. I agree. Uh, and then the other kind of smaller trades, you had Alex Cobb also get traded to the Angels, which we ended up mm-hmm. getting Jahami Jones, uh, the second baseman, who looks promising, another one that's been dealing with some injuries this year so far. Uh, I'd like to see him at the major league level in the next month or so because we need some help at second base pretty desperately. Uh, but this is a kid that was highly touted. Uh, he's got a good. He's got good speed. He can hit line to line. He can hit all over the field. Uh, again, he's got speed on the base passes. There's a lot to like there. Andrew Kashner, which was kind of one of those dumpster dive signings that Duquette did that ended up giving us some value. Uh, we ended up getting two, I think, 12-year-olds out of the Caribbean in that deal <laughs> with uh, Boston. 17. Something like that. <laughs> so we, we still got a long ways before we're going to know what we got in return on that. But uh, just the fact that we got anything for Andrew Kastner was a good deal. I'm glad that my negativity has rolled off into running jokes around here. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your boy, Michael Givens, or my yeah. boy, whoever. Saying, it was yours. I'm Next one was mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael Gibbons gets traded to the Rockies uh, for Taryn Vavra, who's doing very well down in the minors right now. I think he's still at Bowie, though, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's he's one of the bright spots. Yes, for sure. Tyler Nevin, who just made his major league debut uh, the other night in his first at bat, I believe. He hit a double, ground rule double yeah. there in Chicago. Uh, obviously, he's, he's got the connections to his father, uh, Phil Nevin, who played many years in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. He's uh, still he's with the Yankees. Yeah, coaching with the Yankees. Is he? That's great. 
So to, to give up Michael Givens, who <laughs> Michael <laughs> Givens, he was drafted as a pitcher, but then they converted him to a shortstop, couldn't amount to shit at shortstop, so they moved him back to pitcher. And listen, I mean, he, he pitched decently uh, for a little while there through, you know, through a couple of years, but another guy that just wasn't consistent. So I think right now that trade looks great. You know, getting Vavra back, who, again, is showing strides major, at the minor league level, getting Nevin, who just made his appearance at the major league level, I think it's a win-win in yeah. that trade. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Both these guys are, are producing. Uh, it did say Givens was good in that setup role. Right. Um, and that's that's where he, he really flourished. Um, so they got what they could out of him, and so far it, it's working out. Um, the last trade that we're going to talk about is the Miguel, Miguel Castro trade. Um, <laughs> thank God. I know you guys are all saying, thank God. I still, I still think in a different, different situation, um, giving them a chance. I still believe in that, but Kevin Smith and Victor Gonzalez are the guys that we got out of this. Now, Kevin Smith, I think is the most underrated out of all of these gets out of all these trades in four starts, 17 innings. This year, so far, in Bowie, one oh six ERA. Yeah, the the Bowie pitching staff is ridiculous. And a one and two it, three whip. By the it way, it just got better. By the way, because Grayson Rodriguez just got promoted to <laughs> yeah, Bowie. Exactly. That starting rotation of Bowie right now is ridiculous. Can you say Bowie championship again? Yeah, hundred percent. If that if the roster stays as is right now, they will win that Eastern League easily. I, yeah, but yeah, I think I think what you're seeing out of out of a guy like him and the production that he's able to give it it far outweighs what what Miguel Castro was giving or could have given. And he wasn't going to be a part of the future anyway. Yeah, exactly. So this is a guy that if you just continue to bring him up, I think he'll do good. And that's the thing is a lot of these think the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that most there's a lot of pitchers out there that make the jump right from Bowie up to from Double A up to the major league level. Triple A is really where you go to finesse things or, or um, finish the finish the development of something. Yeah, you don't see it a whole lot because the, a lot more of the competition is at the double A level. That's the thing that I think is is promising. Is think about think about that rotation. You just said it: Hall, Rodriguez, Ballman. Now you're adding in Kevin Smith into that. Yeah, they had Bradish too, right? <laughs> and Kyle Bradish. Like, but that's the thing is is that those jumps are. It, we're we're not as far off as people think. No, that's what we were talking about it last year. I mean, or, or last week. I think they're legit two years away from being over five hundred uh, and seeing that that rotation, those pieces that we just talked yeah. about, having a major impact at this level. Uh, I I'm excited for it. I really am. Go ahead, James. Oh, what about? I think we forgot about the Gosman trade. We got like six players. For yeah, that. I forgot about the Gosman trade, and I don't remember all the pieces yeah. off the top of my head. So yeah, because I think we got a, a catcher, Cumberland. Cumberland, so he's at AAA a, right yeah, now. Cumberland was in that yeah. trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not I, sure I who I'll, all the pieces I were think in I'll that Phillips deal. Phillips too. Gosman looked good for a part of the season in Atlanta, and he hasn't really made no, much of it since. You know giant, what? What so. freaks me out a little bit is little if, bit, yeah. <laughs> if you go and watch Grayson Rodriguez video. He has a very similar wind up and a very similar like, like wild like leg look, large leg kick. He yeah. looks like Gosman to me. <laughs> I okay. hope he has a much better career. Well, I think it's a much different farm system and development. hundred percent. hundred percent agree with you there. But and if man, he comes God. up, he's probably staying up. <laughs> I hope so. There's just so much similarities there. All right, Scott, it's time for the Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. What did Jerry and the boys hook us up with this week? 
So this one comes from an uh, independent brewing company out of Baltimore. Uh, this is Reverend's Red. It's a classic, classic Irish. Classic. Re- yeah, classic. Sure. Hey, you can't even say. <laughs> <I know>. Julio. <laughs> Julio <Yeah>. Jones. <laughs> Julio Jones. Um, it's a classic Irish Red. Uh, it's not bad. It has like a, a I don't want to say a stout-ish taste to it. It's a, it's yeah. a, it has like a chocolatey type flavor to it. It's hard to describe. 5.6 ABV, ABV um, but... Not not too bad. It's this one I would have one of these, and that would probably yeah, be about it. I haven't drank an Irish Red in a long time. Uh, Killian's is probably the last one I drank, and that was a long time ago. Uh, it's a bit of a dry beer, but it's it's good. Again, five point six yeah. ABV, so it's a, you know decently strong beer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do like go. the branding oh. on it. Usually, every I, I mean I haven't had I have a hard time keeping on these cameras, man. It's rough. <laughs> yeah, you're bad with it. <laughs> Just look at the camera. Don't look at your TV. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean it's a good beer. Get up there to the liquor stop. Tell Jerry and the boys that we sent you. Get your 10% off. And in the independent brewing company is stupid local uh, right down the street. And I can't mm-hmm. recommend the Bang Bang Shrimp Tacos enough, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bang bang by the way, amazing. boys and girls, because the girls were there. Oh, today, right. And, and the ladies. Yeah. yeah. And they pick, they've actually picked out some of our our favorite beers here recently. Yeah. Just going to point that out there. All right. They know what they're talking about up there. So make sure you guys go up there. They also hooked us up uh, with some um, good suggestions for some different shots. I got one of them tonight. Um, wasn't too bad. It's the Western Suns, which we've had that before. They've got plenty of that. Yeah. Um, but Western, Western Sun Lemon, we've had the yeah, Western good. Sun Lime. So really good stuff. All right, guys, it's time for the rundown. And uh, we got a hodgepodge of topics this week. Ryan, there's no shell and tell this week, right? So, But there has been some news around the Terps. Unfortunately, some good news, some not so good news. Give us your week's rundown. Yeah, we figured, you know, the shell and tell guy might as well just go with the Terps. Um, do we, I, I don't know what to do. Do I put shell and tell on? No, nah, we don't. We, <laughs> we fell a little short in the national championship game on Monday. Uh, we rolled the Duke Blue Devils on Friday for people. Or, uh, Saturday. 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 For the people that, that don't know that. But the Duke Blue Devils, who were ranked number one ahead of us and uh, with their two losses, got steamrolled. Uh, wasn't a game from Jump Street. But then Virginia was even or better competition, and yeah. it showed. We came out a little flat. Um, we all thought it was over. We were watching the game. They, they went down five five goals in the early fourth quarter and was like, it's all, all said and even, done. Even yeah. though the Terps had come back from being down five goals multiple times this year, they were an undefeated team. Like you said, they just kind of looked flat. They looked like – I mean, Virginia looked like the better team at that point, but then – Maryland found a way to come back. Yeah, the Terps rolled off four unanswered goals, came within one with 10.8 seconds left. The, one of the biggest differences in the game was we couldn't win a faceoff to save our life. So we needed to win a faceoff in order to score in the last 10.8 seconds. They did win that faceoff, had pretty much a wide-open sprint to the goal with a bouncer, and and for the first time all day, goalie was able to stop one of them bouncing shots right in front of the goal. It, it, it was really dramatic, though. I loved it. I thought that... Like, like just captivating television. Yeah. I was talking to the guys beforehand. Like, I'm gonna have to get into lacrosse more. Like, this might be my t- my takeover, my top do, spot do, for me in sports. Do, do, do I do I smell us uh, going to a lacrosse oh, game I will now? 100 percent be at a lacrosse oh. game. Y'all should come. I think that the biggest problem with lacrosse is that the TV coverage is like non-existent, and when you do get it, it's on some ESPN three app with like two high schoolers talking yeah. and one camera angle from far away, and so you just don't grasp it. But when you put the the media production level of a football game, which is what the Final Four looked like, 
that's a hell of a sport. That's really yeah. fun. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, and again, I don't know if it's going to be quite as much fun in person just because there's so much going on right around the goal that those camera angles really bring a lot to it. Um, but, you know, one national championship goal ends. We're pretty much the second best team in lacrosse always is how we go. 1973, we won a national championship. 2017, we won Natty. We went to 22 Final Fours in between with no Natty championships. <laughs> we are always runner-up. This is where we live. We're the bridesmaids. Right. <laughs> we're the bridesmaids, yes. Um, but we're, we're going to try to change that with baseball, who's not historically great. Baseball, uh, first tournament since 2017. That's not very impressive. But when you see that it's only the seventh in program history, However, they've been to four of the last seven tournaments. This thing's really turning around. So baseball is a real thing in College Park. Historically, it hasn't been, but they're really developing that team, and it's it's, it's impressive. So hopefully, we have one more shot at a national championship this spring. Let's do it. All right, let's do it, Terps baseball squad. Bring home that natty. What do we got, James? James. Well, mine is, I thought Bill O'Brien was done in Texas <laughs> for the Houston Texans, or they must have Ryan. He's uh, not? No. He's done, but I think maybe Ryan is uh, down there, too, because they decided to, to bring in another running back. So they're oh, stacking geez. up the running backs like how Ryan does. <laughs> is this one also <laughs> on AARP right now, or what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> so they just signed um, Rex Burhead, and they have Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and Mark Andrew. So I guess so they're it's the geriatric up. running back room. Philip Lindsay's the only one that makes sense, but, yeah, yeah a lot of those are dated <laughs> running backs. I don't know if they're trying to do what Ryan does in fantasy football. All my up. running backs are better than that. <laughs> and, and, hope, and hopefully uh, trade trade them to somebody. Or they're just going to have a beast or... of a four running back formation. I'm, I'm going to love to see that. Four running backs on the field at the same time. <laughs> uh, I think he's just trying to make it. <laughs> like Baltimore. He's just trying to be like Baltimore. He just figures, all right, we're going to run the ball exactly like I did in Baltimore. It'll work. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Drew, you're up, buddy. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm gonna be super negative going in this one because I hate all involved except for a couple things. Uh, I'm not the biggest Urban Meyer fan. I wasn't here last week to talk about Tebow because I don't, I don't, I, I guess there they're tired is. of hearing about Tebow. Can't get through a week without but it. But for some reason, <laughs> I, just, he's gone, I, man. Had, I had to bring, I had to bring it up because it's <laughs> a little bit because I wasn't here last week and then something else I'll get to. Uh, but with everyone so up in arms about Tebow getting the shot at tight end and is it insane? Is it favoritism because of Urban Meyer with his coach? Was it? Is it does he owe does Urban Meyer owe him something? Is it white privilege? Is it why didn't Kaepernick get this chance? It's Brandon Jacobs going, oh well, if Tim Tebow could play tight end, I'll come back and play defensive end. <laughs> like it's, it's giving people hope for some reason that you know they just want to keep being so negative about a person that really there's nothing really wrong with the guy. Yeah. Other yeah, than he just seems to, it's like media driven, and then we shit on the guy. Like it's media driven. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the guy, but he definitely gets opportunities that others probably wouldn't. Look. I, if it gets everyone's panties in a bunch and it bothers so many people, Tim Tebow, please be a top 10 tight end in this league. I'm oh dying God, for that would be hilarious. That would be great. But the but. main reason I even brought it up had almost nothing to do with Tim <laughs> Tebow. I just wanted to add my two cents for Tebow from last week. <laughs> AEW is like the secondary wrestling company. I know wrestling doesn't give shit about anybody in this room or this uh, chat room. But, except for James. But over the weekend, they had one of their big shows and they had uh, a match that kind of between two teams. They go all over the place because their main spot's Daly's Place, and it's literally right on top of the stadium. So they have this match called Stadium Stampede. They do a bunch of crazy stuff. 
They go to uh, two of the guys, including Chris Jericho, which is kind of like an old guy. Yeah, I remember him. They, they go into this office, and there's Urban Meyer and a uh, defensive coach. I think it's strong. They're just chilling out in the, in the room, whatever. And he hands him a laptop to bash the other guy, to Jericho, for Jericho to bash the other guy. I'm like, you know what? All right. All right, Urban Meyer. I'll give you a little bit of credit. <laughs> he won Drew some brownie <laughs> points. Mean, a little bit of brownie points. I might not like you. Uh, but that is just a collection of, uh, I just felt like uh, bringing up Tebow for some, <laughs> yeah. for some people. Let me, let me just, all right. Let me just say, and, Tiger Woods was the best citizen in America for 40 years. It all fell apart. Bill Cosby was everybody's daddy for 60 years. Tebow will fall from graces, I promise you. <laughs> I wonder Jesus. if he should catch. <laughs> uh, all right, Scott, what do you got? Anyway, uh, for, for mine, it has to be uh, last week. And I think we all saw it last Thursday. Cubs Pirates. Jesus, wrong button. Apparently that <laughs> apparently that button doesn't work. Do you want to hit it on yours and try hitting it on yours and see if it works? Don't tell me what. All right. What well, I guess I'll have to do it up here. Yeah. There we there go. There it is. There's the video behind. This play. He hits the ground ball, third base. Throws a little off. He comes off the bag. I don't know whether this is people. People give the Genius. first baseman a lot of crap. Genius by Javi Baez, 100%. right? Yeah. And then to run, horrible, horrible choice by the catcher there to throw it. Yes, I'm going to say that. Uh, but then Javi takes second, and then it's a horrible throw into second. He almost gets the chance to go the to the bad third. news bears. There, it, is, man. it was just a horrible situation at all. And Rizzo and uh, what's his face? Schwar- I think it was Schwarber uh, all over that. Rightfully so. I would be Hilarious. too. That first baseman's been training with, training with Manny. That was the most lazy shit I've ever seen. Yeah, it was yeah. awful. Coming off, the, coming off the bag in the first place. Like People gave him a lot of crap, but Javi saw him come off the bag. Okay, come get me. He made him come get him in that look. Well, look why are you lineman out. jogging to him? Just get him. Just tag, yeah. Just tag first base yeah. and the inning's over. <laughs> yeah. that's, well, that's what people are saying, but that's a genius. That's Javi genius. kept baiting him. The no. first baseman is just a dumbass. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He, he is, but Javi saw it and kept was, baiting him. Was there one out, two outs? What was the situation? I think there was it nobody was out. two outs. Was it two outs? Yeah. Then why are you not just turning around and exactly touching the why base? Baez has nothing to do with yeah. it. Yeah. That's why he had that dumb lineman jog. He must have been a catcher that converted the first Yeah, base. maybe that's what it was. Wow. <laughs> he couldn't catch that snag ball. That's, uh. that's the most heads-up play by a runner, with, by, uh, running ever, though. That was right. impressive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's crazy. All right, Jer- or James. What, or, or, Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fred. Fred. That would be me. Right. Rent free in his head. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My, mine's a little bit more personal, a little bit more uh, deep. Uh, and, and this, you guys all know, I mean, I've been open about my struggles with, with mental health and some of the things that I've gone through, right? Uh, I don't know if you know Na- uh, Naomi Osaka. She's yeah, a, yeah. one of the the biggest tennis superstars right now on the women's on the women's circuit. So I think she's number two overall ranked yeah, player she, in the she world. She was the right one now. that like just a few years ago Youngest lost to Serena and Serena like embraced her. It was yeah. it made a huge a great moment for the sport. Well, she ended up uh, withdrawing from the French Open over the weekend on Sunday. Why? Uh, well, after her first round win on Sunday, she announced she was going to skip her press conference and she was going to skip all press conferences in Paris for this tournament. Well, in turn, she was immediately threatened with expulsion and indicated there could be further sanctions up to and including suspensions. On top of that, she was fined. I mean, it wasn't a lot when you're talking about somebody who made $55 million last year. She was fined like $15,000, right? But after that, I mean, she her name was completely drug through social media uh, for backing out of this. And immediately after that 
she decided to withdraw from the tournament altogether, citing her mental health and bouts with depression and anxiety that she had based on public speaking, right? right. And that's kind of what this whole thing stemmed from was her talking publicly in front of the media, which I get, you know, when you're a tennis superstar, or when you're an athlete, that is part of what you sign up for. Um, her quote, though, from social media said, the truth is that I've suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I've had a really hard time coping with that. Anyone that knows me knows I'm introverted. I am not a natural public speaker and get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. I get really nervous and find it stressful to always try to engage and give you the best answers I can. For me, this hit home, right? Because, and you wouldn't think that because I do this show and you know, it, I don't have to do this and I don't make money doing this. This is just, I do it. But so I mean, you all know, you guys see me every week and I talk about it every week before we go live. And for those that were tuned in early this early or on the show, you heard me talking in the background, I get anxiety every show going live just in front of people that I don't even see their faces, right? So I could relate to this. Now, again, I understand that, you know, as a athlete, there are certain things and certain obligations that you sign up for being a professional athlete. And I think the media does a pretty good job of putting tennis on the map, right? I mean, they, that's how these guys or how these guys and gals make their money, right? They, these media people write stories about them, cover the sports that they do, and they promote these players. That's how they're able to get the contracts that they're getting. So I get all of that. But for anyone that's ever had an anxiety struggle or depression struggle, you can relate to this, right? I mean, these players are human beings. We can suffer from the same things you and I do. These are, these are just normal people like you and I, right? They aren't robots. I get that the media is a big part of it, but there needs to be adjustments. And I think that's what I wanna see come out of it is that there's this 2021, there are ways that the media is not going to go away. Press conferences are not going to go away. And I don't think that anybody that wants to can just say, well, I don't want to do press conferences anymore. That comes with the job. But in 2021, with everything being Zoom now, right, there's other ways to make amends for certain people that might have those fears or those anxieties or those struggles with walking into a room. Some of these press conference rooms are as tight as this basement here and they're littered with 50 people in front of one person sitting in front of a microphone in a table in this little room and that can be threatening that can be Plus overwhelming all the cameras and right the, yeah. and the heat from it and all that stuff it can be overwhelming for some of these athletes and i get that and i feel like there should be maybe amendments to how media handles people if there are if there is somebody like like her that struggles with this maybe there's a separate room that this person hosts a press conference through a zoom meeting we all have phones we all have laptops we all have ways of connecting through zoom through these video conferences that's what everything in in COVID has taught us this past year is that even working with the media we can do that through these virtual the, the ravens are still doing it right virtually through these zoom meetings i think that's one of my frustrations i think that's one of the biggest things that i want to see come out of that is that sports in general take these these mental health issues seriously and that they address them appropriately um and again i just i want to see them take steps yeah i mean i think there's there's taking there's taking steps but i'll also say that no matter no matter where you're at there's some people i don't know to her personally 
Mm-hmm. She says that she she wants to she wants to make sure that she says the right thing. You can you can mess up saying the wrong thing in a Zoom meeting just same just the same as you can in 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 front of everybody. And it could be public speaking, but public speaking has many forms. It has virtual, it has others. My issue is there there needs to be the national publications that are out there. Right, the certifications. You know, some of them I think have like technical certifications. You get. I, I don't know. There needs to be a national, you know, type registry. If you get these people that are coming out and purposely going after people in a hard way on nothing, right, and it winds up being nothing, you should be. They should. Some of the the companies and some of the the teams and the organizations should start pulling the press passes. I understand freedom of press. I get that. But freedom of press does not allow you to to spin words of someone, right? It doesn't allow you to to pressure someone into giving you an answer, right? And that's what I think sometimes with some media members, some media members have that negative thing. And that sometimes, I'm not saying this is the case with her, but I can only imagine if somebody's trying to, trying to hound you in a way that they're looking to get something out of you to spin it negative. Yeah. Right, NBA players. NBA players don't like speaking anymore. Right, because of that. Well, if that's if that is her sole problem with it is that people media are misconstruing what she's saying and kind of putting their own spin on it to to sell papers and to sell subscriptions and that kind of thing. I think her point was that she's more comfortable verbalizing her feelings and and thoughts and things through social media, which obviously social media is a part of all of our lives right now. Twitter is a part of our lives. There's a difference when someone's either in your face or you have to answer right there. You don't have to, you can, she can, with social media, she can think it out. She can go through. I mean, you and I have said this before when we've, we've messaged uh, people that we've had come on the show. We've gone through like 10 different iterations of text messages, right? Before we even go, okay, is this, is this good? Is this good? Right. You have time to think about it. There's there's a different pressure when they're right in front of you virtually or, you know, in, in person. And that's where I think it comes into in my eyes for a lot of people. I wouldn't want people, you know, we, we watch we try to watch what we're saying on this show because we don't want it to be spun in the wrong way. Right. We're trying to make sure that we understand like we're realists. But at the same time, we all have feelings. We all have thoughts yeah. and everything like that. I think it's a, it's a good point that there's there's a lot to be said there and there's a lot that they could do. No rules. No boundaries. Two topics. 30 seconds each. It's time for the two minute warning. All right, Scott, it's time for the two-minute warning. I have not read these questions yet, but I'll, just, go, I'll go first on this All one. Right. Go Either That's way, fine. it doesn't matter. Who's, who's, reading, who's reading the questions I'll this week? I'll start first. Uh, if right. you could ride along in a stock car with any of the top NASCAR drivers, do you think you could handle the speed and force, that, uh, the like the upper echelon speeds and force? Well, from personal experience, I did go to Daytona, and I did the Daytona 500 experience, which I believe the governor capped them at like 180 or 185 around the track. And the G-Force was pretty impressive at that point. Uh, You know, on Daytona, when they're all out, they're getting up to like 210. So 
Could I handle it? Probably. Could I handle it for an entire race, 500 miles? Hell no. I definitely don't think I could do that. Uh, but, yeah, if I was going to ride along with anybody, it would have been Ricky Rudd. That was my favorite driver growing up, so he would have been a guy, and I loved his aggressive style. Yeah, uh, I – same thing. I, I might be able to handle it in today's race. I mean, they're, today they're running two, two ten, two twenty, two thirty at times. Um, you know, during some of the some of the turns, um, and the G forces are ridiculous. I could handle it for a short period of time. I, I'll be first to admit, I ain't handle it for more than five ten laps, uh, and that's for sure. And for me, uh, aggressive driver. I've always loved Jeff Gordon. I think he can drive anything. All right. All right. Next. All right. Uh, what should be done with fans throwing things at players or going on the field slash court? What is your guys' outcome to stop this before things get out of hand? I think what's happening right now with the NBA and the players speaking publicly is necessary because basically what it's doing is it's holding the NBA's feet to the fire and it's holding the individual cities to govern these situations to the fire. And I think these these fans need to be handled appropriately. These guys are here for our entertainment, but that doesn't mean that they're there for us to abuse and do stupid shit like throw beers and throw popcorn on these players. Yeah. So I think it's it to me there there's a few simple things that could be done. Not only is it you know is it if you're throwing stuff or you're you're negatively harming a player on the court or on the field, uh not only is it in, in a a lifetime ban, uh but it's also a lifetime ban across all all NBA stadiums or NBA courts, whatever it may be. You don't get to just throw something at a at a Nets game and then turn around next week and go across country to the Phoenix Sun team. You don't get to do that. That's the easiest way to do it in my opinion. Right, no, I agree. All right, Scott, good show. Sign us off. All right, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week, as always. Make sure you check us out on www.birdlandbs.com. You can check out all of, each of our episodes, learn about each of us, contact us, get yourself some Birdland BS gear. We're always wearing it. And make sure you also follow and like and subscribe and share on all of our social media sites. At Birdland BS is how you find us. At Fred BLBS, at Scott BLBS, at Terps BSpert. At James Bond 2332 20, and at Drew27N or just use hashtag Drew. That's how Drew will find you. Um, but Drew's been a little bit more active on social media recently. Yes. So it's, I just retweet a lot of what Fred was. Now we know sense. what's happening. Makes uh, sense. Make sure you also follow us at bigplay.com and download the Big Play app. Also, BirdlandSports.com is how you can find us as well. If you want your opinion or topic on the show, make sure you send us a message. Craig, we got your message. We got to it. Make sure you send it to us. You can send it to us at Birdland or send it to any of us individually. We'll be happy to bring it up on the show. We're always looking for topics. The audio version of the podcast, it can be found anywhere, including if you haven't gotten into it, verbal. It's the new thing. B-U-R-B-L. We are now on verbal. It's great. I've actually picked up a few different podcasts on it as well that are not on some of the other platforms. I cannot say the um, same. Oh, all right. Well, I did. <laughs> I did. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, and as always, guys, thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for the After Hours. We'll be back next Tuesday, 730 Eastern Standard Time. From Fred, myself, Ryan, James, and Drew, we'll see you next week. See you.